Good morning, and welcome back to the Explosive Measure podcast with Seth and Mike. Uh, had some technical issues, I believe, this morning, so uh, we don't have a Tommy yet. We're going to see if that will appear here shortly. But welcome and good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mike. And it feels, I, feels I, weird. Yeah, I hope it's a happy Tuesday. Yeah, this is this is the joys, I guess, of uh, going live whenever we possibly can early in the mornings and we're we're a man oh. down at the moment hoping so the internet for, works wherever yeah. tommy is hopefully you know everything's good to go there so we'll we'll see if yeah. tommy appears we we know our audience is so yes. vast and wide if you when you could just stop by tommy's house and give him exactly. a knock on the door or wake him up and tell him that he should be with us um as he as he gets online here or we hope gets online we'll pull him into the conversation sounds good so some some things have developed in the in the Carlo household. Um a very funny event occurred over this this weekend and so I'll, I I feel honored to share this one. So you know you've made it when you're a podcast when your children actually start, you know, making their own podcasts. But they weren't just making their own podcasts. They so my kids had gathered around the iPad in the living room. And they had hit record on the little audio recorder. I guess they had found the audio recorder on the iPad. And so they hit record on the audio and they started their own explicit measures podcast on our living floor, living room floor. So oh, you didn't tell me this part. Yeah. I, I, you said that they had sat down and watched us. Well, they have, they have seen parts of our videos here and there, okay. but they were like, I guess bored on the afternoon. And they were like, oh. we, we've got to like, we want to do a podcast. And so they always, they're, they don't like tease, but they kind of do tease. So they sit down and my three kids start talking together as the podcast. And my, uh, my middle child uh, goes, hi, I'm Seth. I know everything. <laughs> that was her, that was her opener. I was like, okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and then my youngest who uh, was interpreting Tommy uh, basically said, Hmm, I'm hungry. I need to go get some meat. <laughs> so she, went, she she ran off to the kitchen to go get some food, something to eat. I was like, that that is actually very Tommy, honestly. I would say that would be very much him. And then my son, uh, who taking after his dad, wanted to be wanted to be me. And so uh, my son tells me he goes, yeah, it was just you know he's talking in the, in the into the iPad, and he goes, ah, oh, data, 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 data. I love data, 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 data. And I was like, yeah, I do say that word a lot. So they kind of... He should have thrown in there, game changer, and then it would have been all over. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been over. It was pretty funny. So Jack Kirby's asking, when will this be released, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I think this might have to be a subscriber-only uh, interface yeah, on this one. <laughs> Anyways, it is hilarious. There's a lot of just random noise and then just being silly with together, but they had like a you know a five minute podcast and they and then they insisted that I listen to it and they were very proud of like their intros that they were producing for each person. So they they really enjoyed the uh, the fun that it took this weekend. So, anyways, a fun little uh you know uh yeah exactly data 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 that they were they were loving Mike and Dad saying data all the time. So it was just very fun, good little interface uh, that they were doing. They're just yeah, it makes you smile. So they're listening. It's it's also oddly strange. Your your kids are always watching. They're observing. Mm. They know what's happening. 
So we've been on a run here recently where we've been doing a lot of extra recordings for podcasts. So that like literally every morning I'm showing up to record things. So this is very top of mind for them. Oh, anyways, my wife had a kick out of it. Oh, I didn't stop laughing when when you you told her the, uh, you know, I'm Seth. I know everything. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, I thought that was a really good little story. Today, we'll jump into our topic. Uh, this has nothing to do with, with uh, you know, my kids being silly and all that at home. But uh, we are jumping into a talk to- topic today around effective data storytelling is, is the website. And there's, I think this is a blog post. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out where, who, oh, it's uh, Brent Dykes again. Yeah. And this is also from the data storytelling book series. Uh, and we're, we're talking about the idea here around contextualizing insights. Six different ways to put your numbers into context, which I think is context is very key when you're talking about data, data analytic things. So um, let me put that in the chat window here. Um, I'm going to try to spell contextualized correctly. Insights. And then here's the article uh, that we're going to be talking, discussing today. If you want to uh, pick, pull up the article on from the browser, feel free to go ahead and hit that in the chat window. It'll also be in the description of the video if you want to follow along as well. Seth, you want to give us some uh, initial uh, points or a kind of initial outline of this article, kind of figure out where we, uh, where we want to take it today? Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll spend a lot of time in uh, this diagram that you put together that kind of walks through the different areas which um, context is, is really important and how we would present that, obviously, as BI report authors and our job. Mm-hmm. Um, so comparative, uh, informational, equivalent, confirmative, scaled, and historical. So we'll be spending a lot of time in there, but <clears throat> one of the, the parts of his intro that kind of stuck out to me that I really liked that we'll talk about in the future <laughs> as well mm-hmm. sure. um, is is the importance of context when you're connecting to the, the data sources themselves, right? And, and pulling in data into the data systems. Um, and the context that's most important is to have do, like some domain knowledge around what it is you're ingesting. And we talk about that, I think, at length in a future episode. But mm-hmm. I, it, it resonates here once again where um, there's a breakdown of old versus new ways in which I think business intelligence and analytics teams run or should be from an IT team just being completely independent from the business, right? And just yes. saying it's data, it's data, data, data. And you just pull it in, right? Yep. Pull it all in. Exactly. We're going to build this monolithic thing. All the data are the same way from the source system. It doesn't matter how it's being used right now. It, and, and then you start running it through the pipes without any context, right? Or mm-hmm. you miss a lot of the transformational things that a domain expert would know. And right out of the gate, that creates uh, issues, not from a data quality, like like the data may be accurate, you just don't have the context of the business insights, and you're going to miss some things, and down downstream, yep. that's just going to pollute your reports, right? So like from the very beginning, I think this idea of understanding a lot more about data sets as opposed to just treating it as, yeah, it's raw information, right? And we build the context in the report. I think it, it points out that nope, it's right from the beginning. We need to start understanding like what are 
some of the contextual factors or you know how do we at, apply certain um, transformational things to the data to make it meaningful from the get-go. When you when you do a little bit of studying around visuals or visual design, you kind of look, you, you kind of, you know, this is, I think sometimes when you look at visual or building visuals on top of data, we think, oh, you just kind of like know what to do. And a lot of times I've interviewed people and said, how do you know which visual to pick? What, where have you learned this yeah. information from? And a lot of people just kind of say, oh, well, it's a time series. I just know that's a line chart. It's, it's, you know, categories. I know that's kind of just a bar chart. But when you really think about it, there's actually entire fields of study or people have studied this for long periods of time thinking about like, what does this look like? How, how do you represent a data or information on a page that produces a, a conversation around that information? And, and I, I think we've said this in the podcast in the past, and I think this really resonates for me. When you're using visuals to somebody else, you're actually communicating, you're talking to somebody else with the visual through the data. Yeah. Speaking of through the data, <laughs> hey! Look who showed yeah. up. You can't get rid of me that easy. Oh, oh man. Holy crap. <laughs> can't, I, like, I like your intro. Can't get rid of me that easily. All right. Oh. Welcome, Tommy. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, your alarm should have been set for 7.15 this morning. Oh, alarm was there. Was, I, I was getting a little nervous. I, I was thinking Tommy got run over by a car and a bike. That's literally what I was thinking. I was like, uh, he's always here. So oh, Sweet relief. Yeah, there we go. So we'll uh, we'll keep going. So uh, Continue, please. We're just starting off of the article, Tommy. We're just jumping in here. So um, Yeah, so I, I felt like um, those are good parts. But I liked at the end here, he's start, talking as he... In, leaves the intro and starts talking about these contextual insights inside things. There's a, there's a point here that I really like that was said. Michael Ventura, someone he's quoting, without context, a piece of data is just a dot. So it's the other relative data points that make this one piece of data relevant. And that makes a lot of sense. A lot of times we're doing year-over-year analysis. This year, compared to last year, there's two data points. I can see, is it up or is it down? And this is something that has been beaten in my head, is when you're thinking about data, you're talking about position, what is the actual value you're talking about, and what is the direction, right? How is that, that data point being compared to something else? What is the relative compare? And then, does that align to your goals? Are you expecting that number to go up, or are you expecting that number to go down? And I think talking about visualizations or communicating in those simple terms, what, what is the number? And do we expect, how do we expect it to change? Those two questions, I think, answer a lot of details around what's occurring inside this, you know, context yeah. for data. I think, I, I agree. Like the last couple of paragraphs, sorry, before getting into the six ways to contextualize, yeah. <clears throat> are, are definitely interesting and have some key points because it brings to light this other theory that we've talked about, I think, which is your audience is mm. pre- wired to understand visuals that they've seen before they know how to that's true visualization yes correct and know your audience the, it's the context of the visual that you're choosing right that is going to provide them an idea of yeah i'm used to a line chart typically when i look at this this is going to be something changing over time right yes i'm looking at a bar chart i'm going to categorize and group things by these bars um it's when we get fancy sometimes as 
business intelligence folks where <clears throat> we either change the norm of one of those visuals, like trying to do categories yeah, in true. a line chart, yep. right? Which you've seen before, which hmm? instantly makes somebody go, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what's Something, happening here? I'm losing context, like what I'm supposed to be looking at, hmm. as well as when we try out new visualizations. That's true. The importance that you probably need to add a lot more context because they don't have that that like uh, mental model of what goes on in that visual. Wow, that's really big. Seth does know it all. That w that's it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's I'm just that's correlation between stuff we talked about. Before. I'm just saying, but that's just very like I didn't I didn't exactly pull it out of the article, but that is extremely profound. And I think that's only the first step too, right? Like the mental model of the line chart or bar chart. That's just to get that's just to get them to the first step of I can at least comprehend what it's doing. There's that whole other side of it talking about context of is this relevant to me? Is this important to me? Where, yeah, okay, I know this is trending, but now I have to make that decision on what like what actual value am I gonna get out of this? What is good, what what is bad? And that's another thing. We don't have to be fancy to do that, but it's part of our job too. whatever we're displaying or whatever we're communicating. Yeah. That we're all saying, no, this affects you, you know, in this way, or this is what you need to be aware of. Uh, especially when we launch a, a report like, okay, look, here are all the numbers. And guess what? In a week, you're still going to be looking at the next, you know, year and a half. So what do I need to do as a user? What, what do I need to do that's going to make me coming back? Yeah, and I, you're bringing up an interesting point, Tommy. If I if I think about the different ways to add context to things or, or adding context, a lot of this maybe this is why maybe this is why people ask for tables of data when you're starting to look with reports to a new audience. Maybe those tables of data requests are coming from a place of one. I don't understand a ton of visuals. I'm, I'm used to just noodling on the data the way I want to, but a table has, it's almost like a blank sheet. Here's, here's all, like if you think about like a wide table with lots of columns and lots of data in it and rows, that, that is something that has not been predetermined. Here's the information. You can, you can design your own insights on top of that. It's very much of a blank canvas type approach. When we start applying, you know, a comparative chart or historical line chart, or if we start putting you know, the time on the x-axis, right? We start now making assumptions. We start using that information to start communicating about a certain way. And that may not be the same story the user wants to use. Therefore, they're asking for a table. Yeah. I, I guess what's, <clears throat> what do you guys think about, and maybe, maybe this is a question for the audience too, right? Um, one of the last points he made, makes is like, hey, you, you just by throwing a bunch of annotations, and we've talked about like information yep. icons and you know pop out totally. things to provide context to a specific visual. Um, he's he he, he kind of references that as like, oh, like you can't just assume that you throwing that onto that visual is going to provide the appropriate context to, to a, a particular end user, mm -hmm. and I found that to be true, um, especially as it relates to some of the reporting I've done in the past, right? Where <clears throat> you have teams of people that spend an inordinate amount of time. Yes. Especially when it's customer facing, right? Like you go through this battery of like, okay, what are the questions we're trying to answer from them? Right? Like what yes. are the important key points we want to highlight? And there's so much work done before you actually build a report. 
can you actually provide that level of context in just the report and report visualizations? Or is does that also kind of push this need to have a context page, mm -hmm. which I never see, and I can't say that I generate on a on a basis either. Oh, yes, is is that something that we should be doing? for a report that is not like just out of the box or like for a domain area where they know exactly what they want, they've requested it, et cetera, because it, it sh I think does the other important thing too, which is define the box that this, this report yes. thing solves or yes. should, should answer. Because yes. the other challenge with this is instantly you have a lot of end users that start to try to stretch the report into all areas. Yes. Right. Well, you're showing me this data. It must mean I can look at it all the way through here. And you're like, no, well, the yeah. purpose and intent of this report, i.e. the context by which we were providing you information was this box. Yes. And if you want this thing, and maybe that would help us like differentiate between what gets added in this report versus what's a new one. Yeah. I just, I, should that be part of our our deployment of certain reports is providing a context page that that gives more insights. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on the 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 ever consulting question here. It depends, right? <laughs> the answer you mean? The answer is <laughs> it depends. No. <laughs> and I'll get I'll give you the the more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll give you the more elaborate answer too. In certain situations, I would agree. The extra context is very much needed. And also, I've even thought about or I've built some reports where here's three screenshots of the way this chart could look. This chart means this in this situation. This chart means this in this situation. So really, really going to be a lot more deeper around, okay, here is the insight. Here's the here's what I'm trying to convey with this visual. And I think a lot of times we put too many visuals on a page just there's just too many and one it's just over it's overwhelming right if you had you know I, and when i talk to my team to build visuals or we're working with clients to build visuals it's literally i'll write the insight at the top of the page here's the insight what we're trying to build what is my sales over time and i'll experiment with a couple visuals but maybe that page gets one visual on it when we're talking the development phase and then once we work with the client and figure out how things are working then maybe we'll distill that single visual down to another page that maybe has two or three other, other visuals. So, but I think if we add too many things, it overwhelms people. So I think less is more in this situation. I think being to your point, Seth, I think it's very important for us to be clear about what kind of questions are we answering. And if I look at other platforms that are doing a lot of analytical things, one of them, I look at the YouTube analytics. It's just what I do. They've got a really good way of saying, hey, here's a little table or graphic of here's the videos that are growing your audience. Here's the videos that it's a very specific um, single like a point and explains that. And now I'm actually seeing other companies now they're they're going into like they'll uh, again YouTube's another good example. They'll they'll have videos directly from the YouTube team that says, "Hey, here's how to grow your video. Here's how to grow this audience." And then they'll correlate that to, "Okay, here's the visuals that help you or here's the data points that we would use to help you grow that area. And this happens everywhere in marketing. Uh, it could be in sales. But I think what they're doing, though, is they're trying to say, here are the factors that we use and see in the data that you should be considering as you build things. Yeah. So 
I think that makes sense when we're talking about customers that you're building reports for, internal customers in your company, or self-service or team-level reporting. I'm not sure that's always needed. Okay, so here's... So I don't know if I would put as much effort towards it. But you say that, but at the same time, like, how often are new people coming into those organizations? It's it's not disagreeing. It's an access thing, though, too. They just like they just want to see it every which way. So I have a bit of a hot take on base what you said, and feel free to disagree. But I really do believe do that in the future. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a single line chart over on a monthly uh, trending has never helped anyone ever by itself. So if I'm looking at just a line chart and I'm looking at this over the last two years, hmm? that by itself has not saved anyone any money by itself. What could that possibly tell you Because in terms of when we're looking at it from a two-year trending? Not saying that there's not any value in it at all, but by itself, and I think we overcompensate with the amount of visuals and trying to show this whole time frame because we have the access to it. But if I'm looking at two years of data, which is 24 data points, what can I possibly make from that that I am going to you know, spend less money on, hire somebody on? So to your point on do we need to show all these things or do, do we always need to be a little more hyper-focused? I'm leaning more and more that way initially. There's always got to be some reason what they're looking for. I can give you the general data dumps. I can give you kind of the th- our whole two, three years of data. But that's not what you need right now. It's kind of like an over, it's like the person who buys the Ferrari because they're over, they're overcompensating for, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to do in this last six months. Let me, I, I'm going to, I agree with you to some level, Tommy, but I'm also disagreeing with you at some other levels as well. I So I would agree with you. Depending on the size of the information you're looking at, the, the amount of data that you are provided, right? Um, if you sell thousands of products and you're only providing entire company sales with 24 data points, I would I would agree. Like if that's all that we're looking at, I would 100% agree a two-year line chart this year compared to last year does not help you very much at all. Other than it gives you the largest level of trend and aggregate around our sales are better than last year by what percentage or our sales are lower than last year by what percentage that's basically all you can get from that however that bit of insight when to your point mixed with hey i'm gonna have, i'm gonna let you select one category of products at a time right because now you want the line chart but you now want the line chart inside inside of like small multiples right so which which product line drove the least amount of sales or which one dropped off the most from this year to last year? What caused that problem? So while on one hand, I agree with you, the line chart by itself doesn't, you don't walk away with a very single pointed direct action. I do think the line chart helps you start visualizing or observe, absorbing multiple year-over-year data, and you combine that information with other filter or filter context, because, and this is the analogy I use a lot with people when I teach a class, is, you think of your data as one really large wide table, right? That entire table is not important of it in and of itself. All of the fully aggregated amount of a massive table with millions of rows in it maybe doesn't get you where you need to be. However, there are a handful of rows, 10,000, 1,000, 
that are telling you part of that story and that's what you're trying to go find you're trying to weed out the data that is not telling you anything and focusing on the information that is telling you something i guess i'm confused like lines don't mean anything without context is that the point to the point where i think we use the line charts a lot more than we need to they're a great filler and we but i think a lot of times they're not, really okay. not telling a story i would disagree okay. with you there but, on that but point the same, but at the same time right like i you're you're pick you're picking a con you're picking a visual under the context of looking at it in certain ways what you're saying a a line chart is not is not valuable for planning if i have a planning and forecast lines on a line chart isn't that hugely valuable to understand over the last two years like where the trend is going no and i would agree but we're giving a specific but that's, scenario yes but that's the content you're you're we like this is where i think we have to be careful I, like yeah. you can't broad strokes and say line charts on their own don't provide us any information that we can action off of i'm like mm -hmm. no you absolutely can okay so let me put it this way i think it, they're a lot more overly used than probably they need to be because you're no you're dead on there's not saying oh there's not a use case at all but i think they'll use a lot if you had said pie charts <laughs> donut charts <laughs> i would agree been, with you that's a little hanging at the, same, no, at the same no. at the same time though like overuse of visualizations i don't think is the problem because it, a line chart is a well-recognized and well-understood sure. chart that like m the vast majority of people understand like when you're putting an x-axis on there that's typically a time range when you don't do that is where you get in trouble because it conflicts with people but at the same time is it bad that we use a bunch of line charts if that should be representing the information over time now i would agree with you and i think he dives into it which we we probably can start doing as far as like yeah, the six essential yeah. ways to add context and that's one historical four particular ones and historical yes. is one of those right so what is how do we provide the most value or context in using certain visualizations so let's yeah, dive so, into the first one right Perfect. yes um well, is there is there ahead. one that you you care more about than the other oh. Seth? Like maybe maybe I don't maybe don't go through it one by one. I'm not sure if I have enough time to go through all of them. Is there one that you that really resonates with you? You want to start with? We can start with no. comparative, which is number one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I do find his graphic very interesting. The graphic that he illustrates there is nothing but bar charts, line charts, and there's this one called equivalent which is more like a ranking chart or ranked chart like that. So even in his infographics, relatable. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's also kind of a little bit more like there's no pie charts here, ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's, there's no tree map in these visuals. So, so you know, just, <laughs> just pointing that out. I think those are, uh, when I, when I see reports that show up, and I see a bunch of pie charts, donut charts, and or tree maps in them, I'm, I immediately think to myself, we're not conveying a message. Someone wanted some colors on the screen. We're just trying to flash it up a bit. Like that's literally, that's literally my thought. I'm like, we don't, we don't know what we're doing thinking about data and analytics pieces. Like what, how, can we, how can we fix this a little bit? Anyways, I, I vote we go for, let's start with comparative. That's the first kind of one on the list here. Let's start with that one. So the comparative data observation mode um, let's talk about that one. How does how does this one add more perspective? 
So I think you want to kick us off on an idea there of what that one, what that talking point is kind of going after. Do I want to? Paul, oh, I think we were going to, you were going down that route anyway. I just wanted to make sure we were picking the right one and I, de I derailed here quite heavily. So I'll come back. <laughs> I, if, if we want to pick up from the beginning, right? Sure. Com comparatively speaking, right? Um, he goes through three different aspects, direct, indirect, and relative. Um, so to add more perspective, he just outlining here, it's very common to share an item with other similar items. For example, you would compare the monthly sales of one product to those of other related products. With this form of context, you can either emphasize how similar or dissimilar the item's results are in comparison to others in the items. In addition, you may be able to compare the result to the goal or target or benchmark. I, I think it's interesting that like we're we're talking about this context specifically within the data sets and and the visual is like maybe he's saying we're choosing the appropriate visual for these data sets that we're trying to compare, right? Um but I, I get a little lost in in the fact that it's not a recommendation to use specific visualization types. He's talking about the the data and us providing context through a report without just throwing information on the page. Well, there's also another another one that I reference a lot is, and there's actually a number of articles around this. I think um, Dan is putting some other items in here uh, from other people who are, Dan, thanks for the links for some things. There's some PDFs here that are very good. Another standard that works really well in a lot of these situations, when you're talking about comparative things, right, again, in, in this article for contextualizing insights, we're not focusing on a single chart. One example of that would be is a bar chart where you're comparing different categories. That does make sense. You're looking relative size scale of the different bars, but there actually is a whole language. There's a whole bunch of other visuals that could be comparatively focusing um, as well. But the, the category of comparisons is kind of like a known item. The IBCS standard, International Business Communication Standard, I've said this so many times, I now know the acronym like off the top of my head now. So, so the IBCS standard also does some very interesting things. And I really like that standard because inside that standard, you may have a bar chart. And depending on how the chart is built, there are indicators or dotted lines that indicate here's the largest bar compared to the smallest bar. And here's the percent or the number difference across those things. Another observation I would say here for comparative is when you're comparing things, you are trying to think about a consistent calculation that you run across the different categories, the dimensions, right? In this example, you know, talking about the direct comparison or the indirect comparison, right? I'm trying to compare things of different sizes or different categories, or maybe it's relative, right? I want to see how this thing performed and how much more above a different category did or did not perform. Those are deeper level calculations and they, um, you know, when you have a bar chart with very large numbers in it, the, the bar chart tends to look like a flat line because the, the variation between each bar is so little. So you may use something, a different type of charting to show you the variation of that information over time. Yeah. If you do a little bit of math and say, I'm going to talk about variances or differences from a baseline you now actually have a chart that actually can tell you some information. You can actually make some more decisions on it. So I really like the, the comparative one. I think actually I use this quite frequently as far as different categories that I use. 
you know what's hilarious? I'm going through this article, and again, all these things are honestly cheat sheets on questions and conversations you have with the stakeholders on what they're trying to look for. Um, Ooh, that's a good point. I mean, because I'm going through like, oh yeah, because honestly, and what a great place to start where if let's say they, they don't have a target, they're like, well, we don't, we're not comparing our teams, you know, against each other. It's like, well, why don't we at least start with an average and see who's doing better or worse than the average. And we'll kind of show that based on those rates. So you can see just to start off with something. I mean, this is a great exercise for me. Um, it's kind of my go-to exercise or approach when I'm dealing with uh, someone who's like, we really don't have a target. We really don't have like, you know, these, it has to stay within these boundaries. So rather than it being open-ended on the visual side, I basically say, well, let's, let's calibrate ourselves and let's kind of create an anchor mm-hmm. on, you know, just trying to understand what is good and what is bad for you're looking at, you know, looking at a number of calls handled, or you're looking at, um, you know, the, your success rate, whatever the things are, let's just try to understand where do things stand? And then you can understand, hey, well, why are these teams doing so much better? And then, and why is these teams so much worse? Uh, so it's a, this is one of my best exercises to immediately start getting the uh, someone to start thinking about things in context in a little subset of time. But it is the most powerful, not just from visual, but honestly, from the conversation view and understanding what will trigger someone. Yeah, I, I think I'm grounded now. Like as I'm like quick perusing through here, the thought the thoughts came back. Um, it, it is this. It is the precursor to to yeah. visual selection almost, right? Yes, it is. And I like I like the as you read through the six essential ways, right? It it's the thinking through the meaning of the data and what it is you're trying to convey to an end user, and there will be certain visuals that do that better than others, right? And I instantly went into like, yeah, we would be choosing the, you know, certain visuals that we're all familiar with. But if you're not, right, I think this is a good way to get into or at least add context to visual selection is at like understanding what it is you want to convey. And then you can choose which which visuals best represent a comparative analysis or um, a, a historical Right. So diving further into these, I think he represents certain scenarios in each one of these that are pushing you in a certain direction or um, uh, allowing an, an end user to lock into the, the particular visual that best represents that context of information. I think the ones that stick out to me the most, and maybe it's just because we talked about tooltips and like where we would want to go in the last episode was um, the informational or confirmative because you, what sticks out to me is like you have these data points, right? That um, are, could be perceived as outliers or like, and, and I think a lot of people like think about outliers as like the highs, but what about the dips? Like the severe dips of like, okay, well, we, if you think about systems, system health, all of a sudden you're, you're traveling at this 98 percentile, whatever. And then one day, boom, dips down and then back up more often than not. An end user may just be like, well, that's an anomaly. That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. Yep. And, and that's where I, I was thinking like, man, it would be great to have that like side tooltip helper where I could correlate a point and maybe even push out a color, right. Of a different, like I'm looking at things over time 
boom, it drops, hover that and have it have an informational context pane on the side that provides information that says, hey, you know, this this system down effect happened, blah, 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 blah. There's no recovering yes. this data. Communicate to the customers that X, Y, Z. So that would be extremely helpful, right? So it's interesting you mentioned that because there's there's two things in desktop that kind of get you close, but I think what you're looking for is something like a combination of the two features. Like there's one feature right now you can do anomaly detection on a visual. So it'll one, it'll point out the sure. boom or the high rise or the low rise. It'll, yep. it'll figure out based on the time series of that data where the anomalies are occurring. Okay, great, great. It's doing that half of what you want. But the analysis part of the why, that's not very well articulated. But it, now it also it also wouldn't be something that you would want like float like having this huge hover thing floating correct. in all the time. And that's yes. why I love Tommy's idea of like on the service side where that represents that panel. Like, man, yeah, give me the flyout panel yep. where I can add that context of yes. paragraph of information. Correct. It is the only way you're gonna understand <laughs> like, what what is going on here. And then the other thing I was thinking here when you were talking about that, Seth, was this is, I think, potentially where goals or, or Power BI metrics come into play a little bit because you can take a time series from a data chart. You can represent that on a time series. And because there is this ability to be able to make like notes and or comments against it, right, you can have some investigation. And there's, to your point, Seth, there is a, another layer of human based context that's being applied to that time series. Oh, I can say, you know, our number was really low because of X, Y, Z thing, right? Here, here's, you know, here's the reason why we dug into this and this is why it went low or went high. And maybe this is another area where you could use some, you know, reporting inside teams, right? Have that conversation, that, that chat thread, you know, you're embedding the report into a team's environment when you're talking about, Hey, look, I found this thing on this page. Here's the issue. If I click these options, it appears to be the problem comes from here. But to your point, that conversation, that chat thread, that text, the the deep dive into why that point went up or down means something. And there's not in normal reporting, unless you're doing all that work up front, there's not a lot that you can do to add that context after the fact. Like, does that make sense though? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the only tools that let you like store that data against an arbitrary time series or data point in general is the goals or metric. I keep calling it goals. They're, they're metrics. That's actually, that's a really good point too, because uh, as much as the functionality out of the box with power BI, if you want to do provide that little areas of con uh, context, you all have to create a lot of measurements up front and you have to be very direct. Mm -hmm. um, if anyone just uh, proved that it was uh, data goblins with the bar chart and line chart. I don't yes. know if you have to look through the model. Tons of visuals, tons of measures to do that, but um, to do all the things that he did. Yes. But, but the big point there is... And you downloaded not, his... Let's, yeah. let's go back to Data Goblins yeah, real quick yeah. before you go further. So Data Goblins did a, a, a two-part series, basically. Hey, here's a bunch of ways you can build line charts. Or actually, I think it was bar charts initially, right? The first yeah, article was, yeah. here's a bunch of ways to build bar charts. And he had, I don't know, it was like a three by three grid, nine... 12, I don't care my four by four grid. There's like a four by four grid of just 12 different ways to use a, a bar chart. And then you download the file, right? Is that yeah. what you're referring to? And then in that downloaded file, there's a ton of additional measures that he used to do maths to get to those bar charts to make him do what he wanted. Right. 
And we're not going to do that on our own for any visual, just in case. It's usually because, I, uh, to kind of Seth's point, if that outlier is something that's going to, uh, that is already a part of the conversation, then I'm going to be very direct in creating those types of, uh, um, you know, kind of highlights. And this is where I've been letting myself to. Oh, come oh, on, man. Oh, here's a lot of finish. No, but there's an idea here. Well, well you're. you're I, you you went too fast. I want to I want to slow down here just for a minute because I think what you have is a really impactful idea. I know, right? Data goblins did this amazing visual build. The stuff that we're bringing to that visual is a category and a number, a bunch of categories, a bunch of numbers. That's what we did. And the fact that you have to write so much extra DAX to get to these different visual styles, in my opinion, is a miss by Microsoft. Like, I should literally be able to say, here's 10 different types of bar charts. If I just click on one of these things, I should be able to drop in any one of those 12 items for stylized bar charts and have the DAX, like, hey, Power BI, I'm going to give you this category and this number. It's a table of data. It's a two-column table. Produce to me the, you know, the lollipop chart, the bar chart with the, you know, indicators, like, I should be able to give Power BI less information about it, and it should auto-generate me more of the visual side. That's just a huge miss on Microsoft, if you're listening, all three of you. Um, maybe maybe you can help us out there. Like, this is what the community is doing, and, and there's a larger barrier for that beginner business user. They know what they want. They may want to get that type of chart, but they can't do it easily because there is no easy button to build it. And there's a larger hurdle to get people to generate that type of visual. That's, that's the point I wanted to make, Tommy. Yeah. I think you made a really good point there. And I feel like this is a miss on the product side to some degree is we don't have that auto building, auto creation side of things inside the visual space. And, uh, and you are a thousand percent correct, but I, I do want to say I'm not, it's not because I'm saying that because I'm frust frustration. It's that kind of that more, what a lot of people don't realize is, Okay, we you maybe created your base measures. Well, you you shouldn't stop there because again, that context is usually something that we also need to create for too. And if we kind of understand, like, oh, so now that we've been looking at this, you really don't like things when they're you know when they uh, fall between this twenty eighty percentile. Okay, so that's where we're going to focus a lot of from creating a visual side of the measures and creating our measures to kind of say, okay, let me just see things between these kind of like these pseudo uh um anchors we have i will say though with doing and dax them it's so dynamic and you can reuse it rather than if i had to set this for every visual yes but the the biggest point here is we we generally just stop with okay i've created the number the measurement here so now let me just focus on the visuals well if i have a really good idea of someone's anchors and kind of where they're calibrated for a certain kind of a metric then I should be able to create a few measures that um, are going to support that from a visual point of view. And I'm just, my mind right now is melting right now, Tommy. I'm, I'm looking at these six essential ways, comparative, historical, scaled, confirmative, equivalent, and informational. And I'm now in my mind trying to say, okay, if I was going to build these kind of visuals, what kind of data do I need? And what kind of report visual measures would I need to produce to create those and where my mind goes is where do those measures live do I mean I'm already thinking like I have this model with your point Tommy here's some basic calculations this is the basic stuff 
I'm going to build a report on top of that. So I want measures experimented with or built maybe in the thin report. So those thin report measures are going to be more specific to the visuals that are represented on that page. But when do we make the decision to like reuse them? Do we want to give those customized measures to oh my gosh, I'm so many thoughts are going on in my head right now. How, how do you distribute? How do you communicate? This measure is for this bar chart built this certain way. It's in my report. Do I push it back to the centralized model? Does it make sense to go upstream? Would someone else even know how to use that visual with that measure in it? They may not. And so now we start talking to like you point there to talk about reusability of measures and things. I, I would love them all to be reusable. My but friend. there's more there's even more context that you need to produce around the the individual measure formula the the the, the, the dax expression just to communicate to someone okay here's this is literally only used on this one visual or this measure is only used on the header the dynamic header of this visual where should that live and when do i want to reuse it my friend if that is my worry because i've gotten the uh stakeholders to be that targeted on their their success and uh failures of a measure then that's the, honestly the least of my problems because i know that i'm going to have a great report because i have someone who's really invested and also helps me out from the build where i know exactly where their their um their their pressure points are if i know the pressure points i will create those report level measures and have a ball with it uh but that's the hardest thing man okay sorry i went off on a total random tangent on that one but that was just i had a lot of light bulbs kind of clicking off at the same time there measure context like not not just filter context for the measure but literally why does the measure get used how do you appropriately build that and and communicate that to people yeah. either in the thin report or in the central model and how does that support you know a confirmative or a scaled up and down visual comparison that you're doing how does that work that's impressive it it would be that's a deeper discussion for another time i think <laughs> <laughs> Did it, we just make no, another episode I, I i think so i think so because it'd be worth exploring from a mental model exercise, like, hey, could could we actually build something that had standards and practices around measures and context, or like to scale out on this idea, but in a developer sort of way? Um, yeah, like, yeah, pretty gnarly. Oh, I want to tease the idea. Like, what if, what if I could give Power BI? What if there was a tool out there, and, and I'm thinking potentially also AI based things, right? So take Kurtz, you know, twelve bar charts take kurt's 12 line charts that he did another you know a week later right those those yeah. two graphics right here's all these patterns and for each of these patterns here's a, a list of standard measures you would need to support that visual and that visual pattern what if you just said to an ai machine and said hey i care about this category i care about this measure in that context just represent me seven or eight visuals i click i click on the bar chart type it just <laughs> produces all the visuals for me automatically with the appropriate measures arbitrarily created and then i can say do i like it and then you would hit yes and then boom it just shoves it into your report drops the visual on the page creates the measures that you would need to produce to make that visual work boom like i mean that would be a huge time saver <laughs> yes and then <laughs> and then you can use ai to explain the visual like throw the image back at the ai and say hey look here's the produced visual what is the inside of this 
what does this visual tell me? And the AI should be able to, I mean, I've got to believe that at some point someone's going to throw images at AI and say, explain this chart. And then the AI just says, well, it's, here's how I would read this chart. Da, 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 writes out a little text thing. So now you have the, the AI of stuff. And this is where I think AI should be more prevalent inside Power BI is it should do all the stuff I don't want to do. I don't want to write yeah. how this measure works. I just want to write the DAX and move on. AI should explain it because it communicates to the next person. Here's what this is trying to do. Here's what it's trying to accomplish. That stuff should just be automated because that's just a, it's not a waste of my time. But I don't want to I don't want to spend mental effort there. I want to spend time on thinking like which visuals to pick and what's the story. Yeah. Let me, Sorry, let I'm me, getting very passionate. And about being this. and being visual, right? Like if rather than I, I think how much better would reporting be if if we were presented with the best options of visuals because each one of those right now takes time to build and you're probably not exploring all the options. So rather than that, like could our reports actually be better if it was like, Hey, this is what your data would look like in these contexts yeah. of like, here's your 10, 10 to select from. Exactly. Even as report authors going like, Oh wow. Oh yeah. That, yeah. that is the best way to present this data. Yeah. Boom. But I think you're right. AI like in general is it's funny how it's going after some of the hard technical engineering jobs related yeah. to like, Hey, I want to do this thing. Make it easy for me. It's like, okay, yeah. here, boom. It's easy because it's just code. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately like wrapping up my, I think my final thought is like, I think this brings to light that we should always be intentional about the choices we're making when we're developing a report, whether that's working yeah. from with the data from the very beginning, working with choosing which visualization and how to adjust it or what properties and themes we're setting and overall, like the layout, all of this matters when we're engaging end users in consuming data and and context in all of these make matters. I agree with that. Any final thoughts, Tommy, as we were kind of wrap here? No, I, this is, I think, way more something we can explore, but I think this goes back to even if we have AI that can run through the model, there's still the skill that we need because everything we've been talking about is still the skill of being able to extract from somebody what's important to them and then driving the focus because I wouldn't know what to ask AI and I don't know what to build myself as a human uh, in the first place either. So the skill that I have, my ability to extract out that target and calibrate someone, that's where uh, to me this the whole this whole thing's kind of going. So um, I have to give this definitely comment and very much homage here in the, in the end here of the episode. So Enterprise AR says, really, the most serious question we have to address here is when the AI is being used in your Power BI reports, should the AI explain it in the voice of Mike, Tommy, or Seth? Like that, that's really what you should I mean. If, if you want the Italian spin, if you want the word cannoli in your explanation, that would be Tommy. Like, let's, you know, imagine I've got three cannolis and then you take away one. Here's what this is telling you. Whatever's right? are really high on Wednesday. Whoa. Hey, Ma. Man, this, is, this is like the, the best bowl of the, the, the pasta, you know. So you, you'll, you'll get a lot of Italian food references, I believe, if you had Tommy do it. What were you doing oh, last man. week, guy? I, Come on. I, I voted for Seth's voice just because Seth does know everything. So, like, I mean, my kids already acknowledge this part of this. So, I mean, it... it, it it's, Donald wants the AI to argue with itself. Have all three figured out. <laughs> Well, if it, if we train the if we train the AI on the podcast, it'll give you no answers, just lots of words and just run around in circles all the time because uh, that seems to be what we do. Anyways, um, 
Very good thoughts. I really like this article. Brent, I've been really enjoying the content you've been putting out. Very nice job. I really appreciate the content. Very good food for thought and helping me conversate around data, data things, uh, and what visuals we're picking. So really like that uh, as well. So for anyone who's been watching the blog or what are we doing now? The, we're watching the <laughs> podcast. Jeez Louise. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I needed more coffee, apparently. Abort. So everyone, <laughs> yes, the word conversate did come out of my mouth. I guess I, maybe that's a word. I'm not sure if that's a real word. I'll have to look up Wikipedia that one later. Thank you for listening today. We really appreciate your ears. Uh, we know your time is valuable. We hope you got a couple laughs and enjoyed some, some food for thought here as well. If you like this, we really would love to have your help. We leave other people who know about what we're talking about here. It helps grow the community. And honestly, I love watching the chat here. I've been doing a couple of recordings. Having people communicate in the chat, it makes me laugh. You guys are hilarious. I, this is so funny. Uh, so I really enjoy the chat team here uh, helping us out and adding some more conversational thread there. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find it on, uh, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and it helps us out a ton. Um, if you have a question, an idea or a topic that you want us to talk about in maybe a future episode, well, go to powerbi.tips slash podcast and you can leave a uh, question and to your heart's desire. Uh, finally, join us live every Tuesday and Thursday every uh, uh, 7.30 a.m. every morning, except when my computer doesn't work. There we go. Well, thank you all very much. And hopefully we'll clean this up for the next one. We were a little bit rough this morning. Uh, Tommy didn't even show for the first part. So uh, we're going to definitely razz Tommy. Uh, you know, by the time we get to episode 300, we're definitely going to have a big, a big major episode. I believe Tommy now owes Tom, uh, Seth and I stakes just for the heck mm. of it uh, after that mm. one. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we'll see you all later. Appreciate everyone. See you next time.